Emma. Are you ready to jump in to this episode of The Pink Isle? I'm very scared. Well, I'll tell you right now, this is Henry Kathman coming at you live with the latest, the greatest in all things that have to do with the fashion dolls. And folks, it's the early 2000s. And you're watching the Disney Channel. And you know, we live in this Disney Channel age, that MTV age, and by golly, Barbie, she's old news. Now, it's time for us to delve in to the my scene. The toy line that definitely is not copying Bratz. It is not. Yes. So, Emma, as we have broadened our horizon in terms of discussing the fashion line dolls and the media in which they came to represent over the years, I've felt myself becoming something more akin to a historian. You know, and as such, I've been doing a bit of research on today's little excursion, Barbie Mycene Dolls. And we're only going to be discussing their first movie, Mycene Jamming in Jamaica. But Emma, before we get to any of the stuff surrounding this movie, I just want to ask you, what is your experience slash knowledge about the Mycene line of dolls? Uh, well, you know, I didn't really know much about them. Like, when did these come out, really? I'm glad you asked. So, at the beginning of the early 2000s, there was a certain creator by the name of Carter Bryant, who you might remember as being the creator of the Bratz dolls. He had some experience with Mattel, but he later went on to go to MGA, where he would perfect the Bratz doll design. And the Bratz ended up becoming super popular. As according to this USA Today Money article written by Anne Innocenzi uh, from the Associated Press, forget pink ball gowns and feather boas, Barbies got attitude. And a new kind of Barbie is going to be hitting the stores. One with platform shoes, low-rise jeans, heavier makeup, and a more exposed navel. <gasps> scandalous it it does really have have the air of like your mom trying to be cool you know (laughs) oh this has got real like recently divorced mom vibes it's like if you're gonna drink i'd rather you do it around (laughs) you need anything a condom (laughs) snacks love you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Got those vibes. But I don't know. Yeah, my scene, I feel like my experience, and I feel like that it's a lot of a lot of people my age have similar experiences where they don't really remember the dolls, but they remember like the flash games oh, that were yes. online that were related to my scene. Because my oh, scene yeah, had its, it's own got, like website. Its primary and was, like, presence was honestly through the internet in that uh like I said like you said, with those flash games, but also some of the early most prolific uh, the early most prolific web webisodes that were at least available to kids. And... Which is something that Bratz did. So they yeah, were just going uh, all although in on it. Although I will say uh, the Bratz were a lot more successful in terms of the actual uh, webisode formula. According to this, uh, the Bratz web series went on a bit longer, although uh, they ended up having a bit longer of a lifespan when it came to those different uh, webisodes. But the Mycene dolls, at least, it ended up uh, becoming, I guess you could say, like more controversial as time went on. Listener, for those of you guys who don't know, they were initially introduced in 2002, and they were meant to be, to quote that USA Today article, they say, Mattel denies that it is trying to emulate the formula of Bratz, whose five-character multi-ethnic assortments has supplanted Barbie as the nation's number one best-selling fashion dolls for the past six months in a row, according to NDP, and whose most recent sales data came from September. 
The company just said that they were simply capitalizing on the lucrative business for the age group known as tweens. Which, Emma, when was the last time you heard someone unironically say tweens? Uh, I can't say I recall, but it is a word that does kind of make my skin it crawl It gives, like, extent. real youth pastor vibes, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm... It's one of those things where, like, you really don't see that sort of age demographic nowadays. Because, like, maybe it's because we're older and we aren't really around this as much anymore. Like, we aren't really being exposed to, like, many toy commercials nowadays. Because I feel like by the time, like, kids get into, like, middle school, they're not really, like, buying, like, yeah anymore. Yeah. That much. This definitely like, felt like something very early two thousands. Like, granted, I just remember the art style of this of this of the Mycene like shorts always reminded me of that sixteen show. Oh, on, definitely. That was on Cartoon Network. Uh, the Mycene dolls actually predate sixteen by two years. That said. They definitely have similar styles. Oh, wait a minute. The dolls predated 16 by two years, but the actual movie also came out in 2004. So, again, 2004, really good year for, I guess, Mattel and MGA in terms of producing, like, direct-to-video things. Because, like, this is the same year as Princess and the Popper. It's the same year as that first Bratz movie. Mm -hmm. How the time flies. I guess so. But before we actually get more into the movie, I just want to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff when it came to the Mycene dolls. So the whole thing is that they are also the same type of characters. Like, you still got Barbie, Delancey, Chelsea, a lady named Noli, and Bryant, River, and Hudson. So I guess they were trying to get in more, like, guy dolls as well yeah kind of like how brats did how they had yeah. like the girl characters and then they had some guy characters yeah no ken though which is interesting maybe they're like ken is way too he's way too lame to put in our uh our sick degrassi oh god this is Barbie oh my god this is this is totally just a Degrassi High School Reap. Oh my god. This is something that we'll probably go into more detail if we get to this movie, but uh, one of the big things that they also tried to emphasize was, obviously, there was more emphasis on fashion and more glamorous stuff compared to the fairy tales that the mainline Barbie series was delving into nowadays. Uh, but they also incorporated uh, a couple of interesting gimmicks uh the first is called fab faces and expressions which was a thing where the f they gave them two face molds it would allow them to change their expressions but the more controversial one was a doll line that was introduced in 2007 a doll line called growing up glam now, growing up glam dolls were, uh, the whole thing was that there was a little latch key that turned on the doll on the back. Oh, is that the one where, where, where you, you crank the yes. boobs? Yes, and boobs she, grow? so <laughs> on the back of the doll, you would turn the keys and it would cause Skipper to grow up. Yeah, grow boobs. So... You know, the thing about that is I do think that there is, like, a room for there to be, like, stuff marketed towards, like, girls in that age demographic to kind of, like, normalize, like, hey, you know, your body is changing and all that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe a boob crank isn't the best way to do no, it. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I think my I think the big problem is that, like, honestly, like. There's already been so much literature written about how dolls can be, like, a very formative 
tool for a lot of children in terms of figuring out their sexuality and their orientations and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's something pretty important to keep in mind, especially like when kids are going through puberty. And I do think there is some value to Mattel trying to like perhaps teach some stuff with that. But the problem was is that the growing up glam doll, that was not the purpose of these. Based on like all the press releases I've read about them, it's more about just like another doll gimmick rather than an actual educational tool. There's one other big thing that must be uh, noted when it comes to the Mycene dolls, and that is just how MGA Entertainment reacted to this. I'm sure you can make your guesses as how they uh, ended up taking this. I'm gonna guess not well. Not well indeed, because on April 13th, 2005, Mattel's competing company, MGA Entertainment, filed a lawsuit against Mycene, alleging duplication of the Bratz dolls, specifically citing their multi-ethnic looks, their fashion and packaging, which, if that doesn't say a couple of things about the way Bratz viewed diversity at the time, as like this sort of commodity that they had a monopoly on. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it does kind of suck that like Barbie had to have like, like a competing toy line, like do a more diverse lineup with their characters for them to start wanting to do it. Like that is kind of fun. Oh yes. But, like, oh yeah. Let's make no mistake. Screw both of these yeah. companies. Like, I don't want to make any qualms, but yeah, it is one of those things where it's like, uh, to immediately date this podcast air date, it's kind of like that uh, Apple birth versus Epic Games type thing going on with Fortnite. I have no idea what's going on in gamer world. Basically, Epic violated their terms of service and was removed from the App Store. And now they're suing each other and they're trying to pit people against each other, even though both of these companies kind of just suck. Back to this lawsuit, the suit further accused of Mattel of, quote, engaging in the acts of unfair competition and intellectual property infringement intended to damage its market share, confuse consumers, and trade on the company's goodwill. Which, I think the assessment is that, like, because the Mycene dolls looked so similar, it was kind of like a bootleg type of thing, which is strange because, like, Barbie dolls have been around for so long, and I can tell you right now, there have been many a doll that sort of emulate that basic, you know, look I and I mean, aesthetic. hopefully you can't, like, remove the feet of the Mycene dolls. Uh, from what I can research, thankfully, no. The weirdest development is that, uh, Mattel later countersued in 2006. As I mentioned, the creator of Bratz, Carter Bryant, used to work for Mattel. And they alleged that he was starting the Bratz design when he was working at Mattel. That would technically be Mattel's intellectual property. It was one of those things where basically you got these two companies, they're trying to like fight against a monopoly of the other. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're both kind of like just in the same boat. Just wanting to make all the money. Yeah. Welcome to late stage doll capitalism. Though the interesting thing though is that like, it wasn't too long after this. From like 2006, that was definitely the peak of Bratz popularity. But by like the 2010s, you really didn't see Bratz anymore. And they really didn't have much of a cultural clout. And MGA ended up moving on to other products. But Mattel... Kept, uh, kept production going up until 2011. They stopped selling the dolls in the U.S. in 2008, but they were still relatively popular in different countries throughout the world, which was also the case for a lot of Bratz dolls. Uh, but eventually the line shut down in 2011, and I'm sorry to say, Emma, but their website shut down in 2014. No! Yeah. Why must all the good things die? Yeah. I do always wonder, like, how many, like, of those, like, Flash game websites that had all, like, the doll, yeah. like, dress-up games and stuff, how many of them are still around? There's the doll dress-up scene. So I remember doing, looking at those a lot back in, back in the day. 
Yeah, mo- I feel like most of that sort of genre of Flash game is sort of like emigrated to picks. Sorry, pick crews. Yeah. Right. And I feel like a lot of like the vibes of those early Flash games have now kind of transferred into like the free apps you get on like oh, your yeah. phone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They've definitely shifted like, to uh, the like a market. like like a classics like a, a Frozen Elsa Foot Doctor uh. and. Uh, minion baby doctor yeah we really do need to cover like the different barbie games at some point that could honestly be a series unto itself because barbie's history with video games both on consoles and on the internet and mobile is just like literally the first video game i ever played was like a barbie game for the pc where she was like a mermaid yeah like a lot of people kind of like overlook this but like barbie is usually most people like most children's particularly younger girls is like introduction to the world of video games at least in the early 2000s like those were usually the games that like you would get check it out at the library or get it at like a grocery store and then you'd play it on the computer that would be that was honestly my kind of introduction into the world of video games as, as someone who also didn't have like a console until like I was in middle school. Yeah, I was like, I think, uh, um, I was in elementary school, I think, when I got like a Nintendo DS. But I do remember having like some kind of like Barbie horse riding game. Actually, I can't remember if it was a Barbie horse riding game or if it was just like a generic horse riding game. Who's to say? It's very hard to tell because those those two markets very too very intertwined especially in the realm of video games so there's only one last thing before we get to my scene jamaica uh so a a couple of things about the cast we get to hear kelly sheridan once again as voicing barbie kelly i missed her yeah and we get to see another screenwriter's credit from elise allen she's back She's back. We're getting like a blast from the past. And then finally, the second most credited person is Kathleen Barr. Oh, no. The gang's all. I wonder if she's going to be the evil older woman in this movie. No, Kathleen Barr is actually voicing Barbie's friend Madison, who was often like a big thing with my scene is that like Barbie was the main girl, but like. She was often, like, twinned up with this girl, Madison, who I guess was supposed to be kind of the more hipper, more fashion-forward girl. Okay. Before you get too excited, though, Emma, I I need to just disclose this. As the uh, director is a one Eric Fogel, who you might remember as being the director of The Barbie Diaries... Yay. So we'll have to see where that goes. Because I feel but, like Barbie Diaries uh, is almost like like the main series Barbie movies attempts at doing like like contemporary high school. Yeah. And no, I feel like that... even the Barbie Diaries kinda looking back, it kinda has the same vibes as like the first Bratz movie, like the 2D animated one. It really does. Like, down to, like, the newspaper subplot. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. And it and the fact that they did have this My Scene line going on, and they, they made three movies of this, including one where, fun fact, Lindsay Lohan actually shows up, which... Like, voiced by, by Lindsay? Yeah, voiced by her and, inclu- and had a doll made of her. Wow. So, wait, how, how long but is this That's going to be happening. This movie is only 44 minutes long. This is like, it's a shorty. Okay, well. So I don't feel too bad if this intro goes too long. Yeah, that's true. Since I can't imagine we'll have a lot of things to say about it, but you know. No, I think similar to Bratz, I feel like my scene as a concept is more interesting to talk about. Like when you consider it within the like history of this media property, like when you think about how it was evolving from that 90s ironic attitude to whatever we ended up with in the 2010s because 
Yeah. It, I feel like uh, with everything that was going on in the world in the early 2000s, I think a lot of people kind of take for granted just like how things absolutely rapidly changed in that amount of time. Like, like 2002 was like distinctly different from 2006. And maybe for us, like hindsight will be 2020, but like, it was one of those things where like the internet with the internet becoming more rapidly available and technology increasing at an incredibly fast pace. Like, a lot was coming on the horizon. So, before we start, do you have any thoughts about this premise of jamming in Jamaica? Well, I'm I'm just sure that this uh, 2004 My Scene movie will have a, a completely uh, respectful uh, depiction of... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure a very fair portrayal. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we just got to get into it. Just yeah. Just see how it goes. Just got to go. Well, let's head on down but then. But that does, with... before we go, it does remind me, I do feel like there was a lot of like girls go to go on like island vacation kind of stuff during this era. Because I remember, I remember that one uh, Mary Kate and Ashley movie, Holiday Under the Sun, where the whole thing is essentially just a big commercial for like the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. I feel like you saw a lot of that because like, by 2003 to like 2006 you ended up getting people who were a lot more excited to travel again because like a lot of people were kind of scared away from tourism uh after 9-11 yeah that's true yeah like that's when you started seeing news about euro disney and like all that stuff which the great success of euro disney yeah the great success of euro disney see defunctland on that listener but uh yeah. Come It'll to the Nickelodeon Suites Hotel. We need to just get into this or we're never gonna. I know, we've gotten a bit off track. Okay, let's watch a, a Jammin' in Jamaica. The My Scene Girls hit the beach in their new movie, Jammin' in Jamaica. Bobby Wesley and Chelsea, Dorley and Delancey, meeting boys on the beach and catching some rain. Want to be part of the hottest My Scene vacation ever? You can check out the Jammin' in Jamaica dolls with lots of cool beach stuff. Each comes with their new movie. Only way to get it. Everyone's crushing on everyone. Is Ellis gonna ask out anyone? Wesley's changing, styling just right. Grooving to the funky beats all night. Jammin' in Jamaica dolls each sold separately. So My Scene. Welcome back, everyone. That was a real adventure that we went on. It really was. You know, I gotta say, I didn't hate it, necessarily. I definitely liked it more than the Bratz movies. Yeah, I I, I don't know. The last Bratz movie we saw was pretty entertaining, just from... That's, that's, all, that's true. But I do see a lot of this really has very similar vibes to the first Bratz movie we saw down to kind of like the 2D characters with like the stock image clip art backgrounds thing that was going on. It definitely looks like they put on that like paint filter on like a bunch of like Photoshop assets. Although at least here they seem to like play more into like the actual textures which i feel like with these realistically proportioned humans works a lot better yeah it doesn't feel as uncanny as the brats movie that had like the really stylized like main characters with like the yeah like realistic backgrounds which kind of yeah doesn't kenny, but I mean, watching this movie though it very much i feel like I wish I had more familiarity with the web show because it's not like I feel like the Bratz movie kind of introduces you to the characters. But this one, it just like you're expected to know who these people are right off the bat and what their relationships are to each other. And I do not I do not know the Mycene girls. So most of the movie, I was just kind of kind of confused. But it does really have like mid 2000s teen sitcom vibes going on. Oh my god, especially in the fact that like a majority of these uh the conflicts just seem to stem from the fact that people won't talk to each other. I know. It it does have literally they... like my least favorite kind of conflict in any of these kind of like shows or movies where it's like 
a character overhears another and misinterprets what they're saying. Uh oh, Shrek movie, hallelujah song, sad. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Where's the lie, though? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I feel like a big thing with this, at least, is that, like, it's a, it's strange. Of all the different, like, compared to, like, the Bratz movies and the Barbie Diaries, this actually feels like the most believable in terms of, like, an actual teen drama. Like, I could definitely, like, maybe not, like, I feel like actual high schoolers, I want to give them a little bit credit. They aren't as petty, but it does have like a lot of that same air of drama, you know? Yeah, it is it, it is sort of a sort of a melancholy film to some extent, you know? It's not not quite as a uh, fun in the sun holiday in the sun. Yeah. You know. Definitely. Compared to some of those other teen movies, like you mentioned, like that Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, and arguably the modern successor, Adam Sandler's movies, where he basically uses it as an excuse to make, have a vacation. You know, with this pandemic going on, watching this movie has made me think, man, it would be nice if I could go on a vacation. I actually, I was talking to this to you before, Henry, I actually have been to Jamaica before. And the way they portray it in this movie, it is very much like touristy. We're going to the beaches resort and on a moped trip and that's about it, you know? Yeah, you you talk to like maybe one person who will give you some coconuts. Uh, there'll be like some stereotypical Rastafarian dude like playing a steel drum. Which you know he was just hired to be there from the resort. Yeah. Luckily, I don't think there was anything, like, too offensive in this movie. It was just kind of like, hey, yeah, they're on vacation. Yeah. They're on a vacation. I, it it honestly offended me a lot less than uh, the Great Puppy Chase. Oh, and what they, oh the Great Puppy what Chase. What they pulled there. Ugh. Yeah. But at least with, um, at least with this movie, there's... Yeah, there's just you what you mentioned. Yeah, it feels pretty accurate in that this feels like a TV movie to like this longer series. And like I watched while we were watching this, I looked through an episode or two of like the actual web show cuz as it turns out, uh the web show actually came before uh these movies. Uh the web series actually was pretty hot off the heels of the doll's release, evidently, starting off in two thousand and two. Yeah, we watched and we watched the first episode, and it's really got that like pre YouTube new grounds animation stuff yeah. going on. So they definitely upped the budget. Oh for yeah, these oh yeah. And I think like as time went on, like they probably started developing more of a continuity because they had like two years of this web series under their belt before the movies and. Given how the characters act in this movie, I'm kind of skeptical of, like, how much personality some of these individual characters had in the actual web series, you know? Yeah, there just really wasn't that much here. And, like, Bas it feels like the cast, they have, like, it felt like they had a lot more character they definitely had like there's a lot more like main like girls in the Miocene line than the Bratz line so it's like they don't really stand out oh as yeah much. yeah and uh like the thing like credit to the Bratz I guess they like tried to be a lot more pronounced with every character's gimmick you know because like one would be like uh the musician one would be the writer one would be Especially focused on fashion, that type of thing. It wouldn't always be a guaranteed, like, good character, but, you know, at least you could tell them apart. With these, I had a really hard time knowing anything about Noelle or Delancey or... Yeah, the only characters the char that, like, really have anything to do in this movie is Barbie and Madison. 
Uh, actually, oddly enough, the guys seem to have a lot more personality. Yeah, we got a lot more guy characters, and they're in like some kind of like Blink One Eighty Two, oh, Bowling geez. for Soup, Weezer band. Yeah, the main guys in this series consist of a guy named River. Uh, Sutton, Hudson, and Ellis. River's like the main singer. Sutton is like this uh, British black guy uh, who does records. There's Hudson who's like, I think he's the drummer. He just kind of seemed kind of like a jock, didn't have a whole lot to him. Yeah, I can't remember anything he said in this movie. (laughs) No, but and then Ellis who seems very bland but is like nervous about you know doing stuff yeah their band consists of like a singer a guitar player a drummer and a guy that does record scratches like instead of a bass player and a bass player ellis plays bass yeah yeah which is with and their band is is called early 2000s it it is and their band is called urban desire urban desire and honestly, listener, I think the worst part about all of that is that their music actually kind of slaps. It, it's for like kind of this, like, it is so like that early 2000s type of music that I kind of like that style of music. So, I mean. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, there's definitely a wave of early 2000s nostalgia going on in the in the music scene right now. But like, you know. There's that sort of poppy, like sometimes we we just want we just want to bring Mr. Brightside back. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; their songs aren't like spectacular or anything. Yeah, I feel like a lot of like these mid two thousand movies were very much like, "What do we do with these characters? What do they do for fun? They're in a band, yeah, like, Garage Band, like, yeah, everything was Garage Band, Guitar Hero, you know, kind of stuff." Yeah, but they actually got like real life session musicians like to actually compose this song. Like they felt it it felt very authentic unlike the sort of rock they were playing in like uh the uh, Bratz movie, you know? Yeah. Also, we mentioned this while we were watching in the first song they played there's one lyric that like Okay, very yeah. Odd- Let's get to their song Spontaneous Combustion combustion it's like originally it was apparently composed by this group called the fuzz aside from their presence in this i cannot find anything for them but i'm assuming they're primarily composed of bob Mayer and nick vincent who are the main songwriters like it sounds like an actual real song especially because the first opening lines is like i'm on my way but i don't know what to do or where to go I'm so nervous. I feel sick. I hope I don't come off like a jerk. It's, it's so funny because, like, I just want to know: was that like an intentional, like, kind of like wordplay joke on the songwriters' part, or did they like write it to say "dick"? But then, like, they were like, "Oh wait, we can't. We can't put that <laughs> say on it in a Barbie movie." <laughs> I mean, this movie is definitely. It feels like it's going towards like an older teen audience. Oh yeah. Like honestly, like I felt like if they if they committed to like the dick lyric like they seem to have wanted to, like I feel like that would add like a little extra edge to this movie, you know? Yeah. Cause this definitely feels like one of the more adult quote unquote plot lines that we've seen in one of these movies. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's being aimed to an older teen, which I don't know, still kinda like confuses me because like teens aren't the ones that are gonna be buying dolls so no like those press releases that i was reading earlier was getting testimonies from like the average customer base of these kit of the people that were buying these dolls and they were like eight and seven year olds there was even like a five-year-old that was talking about the mycene dolls and it's like i don't know i feel like there was just this sort of overestimation of how much like younger how much older girls would want to play with these dolls yeah because like i mean i definitely do think there is something about like younger girls having that fantasy of like being a teenager but i don't know i guess at least from what i remember at the age where i would like play with dolls i was much more like yay princesses and mermaids than yeah I think that I can't like, wait to go to high school and date the boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that, like, I feel like honestly, 
from the standpoint of Mattel and MGA, they were probably thinking like, hey, these younger girls, if we can get them hooked on these dolls, maybe they'll keep buying our stuff when they become teens. Yeah. Like maybe they were like doing like a long-term investment thing. And based off of the fact that both Mycene and Bratz kind of like dropped off the face of the earth like four years after when these girls became teens, probably didn't pan out. Yeah. But... Uh, at least with like this opening song, like also the the main boy character River has a soul patch. I think that's something people should know. Well, you know, when you're in in the early two thousands, that's how you know like he's he's not a boy. This is a man. This he a, can grow facial uh, hair. Oh yeah. But he's not like wearing a mustache like my dad. No, he's he's hip. He's cool. He's just got. Little little patch to show that he's got. He's like the he's, he's like a teenager, them. so he can't like actually grow a full like facial hair. So he's just got like <laughs> the shaggy hairs on his chin. You know, he's got to <laughs> do. He's got to do. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, honestly, this opening segment, it's not bad. Like the song combustion, it's it's kind of it's kind of catchy. Like the animation is like nice and fluid seeing like the band performing and the crowd acting it looks a lot better than the Bratz movies animation wise and uh, yeah even though it's not great like the designs of the main characters though definitely like not as like scary as Bratz there is still like a weird kind of like dead-eyed look to them yeah, like it feels like they de- it do- doesn't like quite translate from like a still image to like movement like expression wise yeah. you know they definitely like make a point of making sure that the Barbies are like the characters are moving as much as possible because as soon as they're like standing stationary in the background, you just get like this weird dead eyed scared. And like their mouths would usually be like puckering and like with their mouths slightly open. And it's like, yeah, it's like there's this really like specific silhouette. They want to like keep the characters at all times. So they always like move just kind of unnaturally. Also, when all the characters yeah. are dancing in the crowd, they're kind of they're kind of doing like the car dealership like inflatable man dance. So. Yeah, they really are. I mean, they couldn't like have them full on moshing like yeah. what probably would have happened in 2004, but like So, uh essentially, so the boys get to go to Jamaica and a couple of the girls get to go because they're, like, involved with the music in some way, I think. Yeah, so one of the girls is Delancey, whose parents... I, I think Delancey's the rich one in that she has a, a family who has, like, a little timeshare house that she's staying at. Oh, yeah. And the guy, And Madison is actually the songwriter. And interesting note about Madison... In Europe, she was all known as Wesley for some reason. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. another thing I thought was kind of interesting. Because, like, Barbie in this continuity, she isn't, like, a rich girl from Malibu. Like, she is in, like, the later movies. No, she's clearly from, like, New York. Yeah, or, like, some kind of New Yorkish city. Because, like, where they're staying, it's, like, it's an urban area. There's snow around. So it's cold and mm-hmm. like Barbie. They're like hanging out at like coffee shops. Yeah. So Barbie doesn't seem to be like like a rich girl in this. Which I, right. which I thought was kind of a nice. Like you can tell they were going yeah, that's for. refreshing. You can tell they were going for more of like a city demographic with this show. With like the characters kind of hanging yes. out in a city. So. Yeah, I feel like the Bratz and, like, the Mycene, like, this whole thing was just kind of, like, playing as a prelude to, like, the whole fast fashion stuff we see nowadays. Yeah. Because the band's performing there, like I said, Madison is known as their songwriter. She dreams of, like, becoming a music producer, so she's been, like, helping out, and Barbie's calling them, and they're horsing around at the pool and something i just want to highlight maybe it's just because like the relationships of these characters is so much in focus but these teens seemed like kind of horny to an uncomfortable degree especially in the beginning like every like scene they would be like hey 10 o'clock look at that cutie over there like both the guys and the girls are like yeah i feel like aside from like barbie diaries which had the one boy being kind of creepy this is one of those barbie movies where like sexuality is almost sort of like alluded to like obviously not in any like really 
explicit manner, but you know. No, no, but yeah. it is that kind of thing where it does feel like it, they were trying to go for like an older audience with this one, but you know, there are problems within there, as we've mentioned before. Uh, you mentioned Degrassi earlier. I don't know if you mentioned that while we were watching or while we we're recording, but like this definitely seemed like one of those types of teen dramas. Especially in the fact that no one will actually talk to each other like adults. That just reminds me of when I was a kid, my sister would would watch Degrassi. Like, I was too young to, like, watch it at the time. But I always thought that, like, the name of the show was, like, The Grass Seed. Like, A Seed <laughs> of Grass. I thought that was what the show was called. And then I was very wrong. Interesting. The girls end up pitching to their parents that they're going to work to go to Jamaica. Barbie finds, like, a cheap flight online. And, oh, yeah, they were very much, uh, like, new and innovative thing. You can buy plane tickets online. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I'm curious as to, like, how much a ticket to Jamaica would be right now. I'm going to look it up. I mean, right now, probably not a lot. I, well, I mean, yeah. from... From St. Louis to Jamaica to go to Montego Bay, which I assume that's where they... For, well, actually, for an American, yeah, it's probably going to be expensive. Yeah, because I'm looking at a ticket from St. Louis to Montego Bay, which I think that's where they are because they mentioned, like, Montego Way. It's, like, $527. That's not that bad. Is that for a round trip or one way? Because uh, I know, like, a, a plane ride to Hawaii... Like that could cost you upwards to like a thousand to one thousand five hundred for a round trip. Yeah, it is a round trip, but it's like a one stop flight, so they're probably showing like yeah. the most expensive one. I mean, any sort of like transatlantic or transpacific flight is going to cost a bit. That's actually a pretty good deal. Like speaking from someone who's had to like fly back and forth a bunch of times. Yeah. So it it feels actually pretty feasible that these girls would actually be able to. S- you know, save up the money in, like, the span of a couple of days by doing, like, all these errands and stuff. And by having one of them airbrush the backs of jackets. But they arrive! Yay! And then the drama happens. And we can honestly get through most of this section of the movie pretty quickly. Yeah, because not a lot actually happens once they get there. It's just essentially... Them going around, doing things. But the main plot is essentially Barbie thinks that her friend Madison is having a thing with, like, her boyfriend, River, Soul Patch Man, as we mentioned before. And then there's, like, a conflict where, like, she thinks, like, that he's, like, cheating on her with her friend, but it wasn't, it was all misunderstanding. Well, I mean, it's not just that, like, it's... This part of the conflict is so weird because every single party makes a specific point of being like, no, I'm not, I'm not really jealous. No, I don't really think this, which maybe like that's true to life to some drama like this. But like all throughout this, they keep each character keeps emphasizing that they're not really worried, but I guess it keeps building up over time to the point where it kind of explodes. But the big thing they're trying to emphasize is that Madison and Rivers, they're, like, really focused on trying to win this Battle of the Bands type thing because they can, like, win a record deal from that. Which, yeah, that feels pretty important. It seems like one of those things where it's, like, it's surprising that this specific conflict is popping up now when it's... When seemingly this band's been together for a while... And Barbie has seemingly also been with Rivers for a while. And Madison has also presumably been working with the band for a while. So, like, it just feels like there's so much Barbie Mycene lore that I don't know that would have been helpful to understanding the conflicts of this movie more. I mean, I'm looking through the wiki right now at each of these characters, and honestly, like, they don't really give any information uh, other than this. Yeah, like, you just, I just have, like, no idea who these characters are or, like, well, what their deal is, really. Like, I know at least two characters, and I feel like the best way we can go through this is that we can go just through each little subplot and section of the movie one by one before we get to the conclusion, because one part of the movie is just straight-up Jamaican tourism commercial. I like, mean, they don't even, like, they go to the beach, and they're at the 
the generic resort, which looks when they show the resort, of course, it's like background image, but it literally looks like a Google image, like a just, like, like a tilted. Google a Google Earth image, like. But this was yeah. like pre Google Earth, so I don't know. I mean, I I imagine they probably just got like helicopter footage or something like that. Like this, it looks like they found like stock photos and worked from there because you ended up yeah. getting weird proportions where like the the hotel looks really small compared to the pool because you could see like even from a distance like the full like a lot of detail on the characters yeah yeah it's very strange and they go on like a moped journey they, they, and they go, go on to, the like... mopeds they go to a standard market where uh, a cute girl with like a jamaican accent like sells some uh sells them necklaces and Sutton the DJ disc jockey dude like is flirting with her and they keep on saying that he's got a cockney accent and it's like no yeah the the decision to make that character british is a uh, i don't know why in well in the web series like his whole thing is that he's come to america to pursue a career in music uh, there's Delancey and Ellis. Delancey, she's got like this weird, like, you know, that weird 2000s thing where her hair is both blonde and brunette with like weird streaks of brunette kind of like trailing through the hair. And the Ellis guy, the bass player, he's super into her, but he's nervous. Rut-row. So he has to work up the courage to ask her out. And of course they do by the end of the movie. Yeah. And uh, uh, Chelsea and uh, what's the other girl's name? Noelle. Noli? I think it's Noli actually. They are also there. They are also there. One of them like basically hooks up with like a chauffeur the other is i don't know who they hook her up with yeah she doesn't get a she doesn't yeah. get a romance subplot in this one yeah i guess i get it some some type of credit that i want to give to this uh movie is that like uh a lot of the maybe compared to like the barbie diaries like a lot of the dialogue actually seems like it doesn't seem more realistic cuz even back then, teens did not talk like this, but it felt more believable. Like, you saw the band members, like, kind of, like, you know, giving each other shit, and, like, they would, like, poke fun at each other and, like, you know, have little goofs and stuff. And I ended up appreciating that because I feel like that was something definitely missing from the Bratz movies because, like, the Bratz movies, they did have those goofs, but it it always felt more mean-spirited, you know? Yeah, and I feel like Elise Allen, even though, you know, her the stuff sh- she she writes, like, the movies, you know, I feel like she always does, like, her best of, like, the material she's given to, like, create dialogue that's, like, decent. Yeah, she least, does, you know? like, she does seem more like, dialogue-focused as a writer compared to, like, some of the other movies, like. Yeah, because for the part, like, she's, we're not really getting, like, cringy dialogue from her stories. No, because I don't no. think she probably isn't really like the authority in coming up with like the plot lines of yeah. these movies, considering how they're made. But yeah, fairy Tovia. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I don't know. It's for good old for good old Princess Charm School, your uh, favorite. <laughs> well, Elise Allen didn't write that one, did she? Yeah, she did. She did. Oh my god, how I easily forgot. Shame she wrote me. like. Like in the early 2010s, she wrote like all of them. Yeah, she <laughs> wrote a bunch for a of while. them. Yeah. With that said, um, yeah, I guess the only other big plot line is that aforementioned like sort of love triangle conflict thing that I understand why it's there. Like it, it's one of those things that happens, but it's like, yeesh, guys, can we like chill for a sec? Maybe like actually talk to each other, because. We've already spoke about this, but Madison is working pretty closely with uh, the rest of the band. She's like their songwriter and kind of manager. It's really ambiguous. Meanwhile, Barbie has a dream about 
uh, River taking her on this romantic breakfast. And then that turns out to be like a dream sequence. Yeah, this movie just, it has a weird vibe to it sometimes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't go as crazy as, like, the weird cutaway gags in the Bratz movies, but it was one of those things that, like, kind of takes you by surprise because everything in this movie so far was, like, kind of grounded in its presentation, so you didn't really expect a dream sequence type thing where she he takes her to a river and they have a great picnic breakfast and then, whoop, she wakes up and now... He, he gives her breakfast, but it's just like a soggy donut. <laughs> like, I I'm, I do actually, like, I get it, River. You're really worried about this Battle of the Band thing. But, like, you know, I feel like, honestly, if Barbie was just like, hey, from this time to this time, we're going to do band practice. You guys can chill. And, that, and then after we can hang out, you know, like adults would. But no, there's drama. I guess credit to Madison, she actually does seem to want to, like, address that whole elephant in the room with Rivers and be like, hey, I don't want, I just want to let you know there's no romantic interest with either of us, right? I don't, that's not going to happen. And he was like, yes, I agree. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, good. Wow, a mature conversation. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? And then Barbie walks in and like runs off crying because they hug each other and it's like (gasps) a hug like again it's one of those things where it reads more like madison is like an old friend of rivers that none of the group has any familiarity with you know but it's clear that madison is like a member of the friend group they just don't really do anything with that so because of Barbie running off. They missed the Battle of the Bands, and that disqualifies them. Which, I gotta say, I was expecting them to pull a thing where it's like, oh, we'll make an exception just this once. But no, they're just out, and they had to figure out something else. Which, again, I also found kind of refreshing. But they then have their sad montage. I heard there was a secret chord <laughs> that David played, and it pleased the yeah. Lord. But during this sad montage, something that I pointed out, they spent a long time focusing on the drummer, like the blonde guy. Uh, oh, see, I'm already forgetting his names. Hudson. Like we see Hudson, like just shirtless in his room, like lying in his bed, all disappointed. And he throws his. And it's like that's a real mood. Yeah, and he throw and he throws away his drumsticks in the trash can. I don't know why they focused on Hudson specifically. Literally, the only thing that I remember about Hudson, aside from him being a drummer, is just his weird nipples that we get to see. Oh yeah, because it's like <laughs> they're there, but they're not like they're colored just, like, in. Too... So he's he's just got like some skin no, tags just, like... on his pecs. <laughs> <laughs> like someone drew sharpie on him. Like yeah. he was born nippleless, and he was like self conscious about it, so he just drew him on. <laughs> Oh no. Also in the sad montage, she's like deleting pictures of her and Madison and her and uh, uh her boyfriend with like on her like cherry red Noika phone. <laughs> oh man, god, that must have freed up like at least a whole 20 kilobytes of space on that <laughs> SD card. Oh god. Also, we do we do get a few kind of gal pal undertones in this film because like madison has like a heart-shaped locket with her and barbie's yeah inside it that she just wears yeah so do with that as you will but like they actually talk they actually talk about what was going on she actually lets madison explain yeah what was happening and turns out everything is all good. But uh-oh, how are they going to get people to watch their music? Before we get to that, like, I, again, I do want to credit, like, Elise Allen did a pretty good job with the dialogue. But I think that just, I think there's a problem where, like, I appreciate how they come to this understanding and they realize how silly they were being. But I feel like maybe it's because you and I have seen this type of story over and over and over again you know how it plays out and it just becomes frustrating because it's one of those things where it's like, just talk to each other. 
But I imagine when, if you're a kid and this was like the first time, like you're seeing something like this, it would be like, I don't know, kind of refreshing. It's definitely a more grown up type of story that you see a lot more as you get older. But in order to get the band Urban Desire to be heard, Barbie has to go to this Ray Liotta looking dude who's like running the band, battle of the band thing. The, as as they're missing the concert, they decide to uh, hold like an unofficial after party. They just have a quick montage of preparing that stuff. And then uh, after the battle of the band, oh, before we get to that, when they're at the uh, place, something I wanted to point out was that just for a very brief period of time, there was this other band that came down from the stage with like these brightly colored vanilla ice looking outfits that were just talking to them briefly about like, oh, tough luck about the competition. And we never see them again. That was that was in sync himself. Do you remember who that band was called? I don't I th- know. Because there is there's another band that had a weird name in this movie. Like I remember, but I can't remember what it was. I can't remember that name either. But because of that, yeah, they ended up hosting like an unofficial after party. And they ended up uh, getting the band producer to listen in as they played their song Spontaneous Combustion. And it's like, and once again, the song's okay. And then finally, uh, they get the great news that, in fact, Urban Desire is going to still produce the band's demo. Yay. And everyone rocks out to their song. I just realized this this movie gives me the vibes of the first Scooby-Doo live-action movie. Mm. Explain. I don't know. It's just like, because they're all on an island, and there's a scene where, like, people are singing on the beach. I, I guess. And it's like... Yeah. And it's like, you know, kind of like sort of an old property, and they're trying to make it kind of hipper with the kids by kind of aiming it towards an older audience. Maybe this just reminds me that I just rather would have watched the first Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> That's my assessment of this movie. Just watch just watch the first Scooby-Doo movie instead. I, you say that, but I, I'm going to give this movie a little bit of credit. I would recommend this way over at least the very first Bratz movie. Rocking Angels, that's its own thing. That's like a bad movie night movie, but like... At least compared to the first Bratz movie, I guarantee you're going to have a lot more fun with uh, my scene jamming in Jamaica than that one. Yeah, Um, I don't know. I feel like you liked this more than I did, because honestly, I found it kind of like just kind of boring to me, I guess. Okay, so of the different types of movies, like in the 60s, there was a very, very common genre called the beach movie. We don't really see it that often it was basically something that became the go-to genre of american international pictures who for those of you guys who don't know that was the main bread and butter of roger corman the who many people cite as like the guy who ushered in new hollywood basically in the span of like five years of like these different movies they made 13 movies often sharing the same directors, often sharing the same characters, often having basically the same type of formula. A group of teens will head down to the beach, dancing and surfing will ensue. There will usually be some type of grown-up that will, like, cause trouble. Weirdly enough, a lot of these movies had a, a, like, a humorous biker gang that would, like, cause problems. And then... And sometimes, like, a famous, like, uh, performing artist would show up. Or, like, famous guest stars like Vincent Price or Boris Karloff or Dorothy L'Amour will just, like, show up. And, I don't know, this movie gave me a lot of those sort of vibes. Yeah. It definitely, there is definitely is a certain kind of, there's a charm to that aesthetic feeling. Like if you really, if you really want to get that, like 2000s teen movie, like vibe going, then I guess you could watch this, but I feel like there's, 
there are much better movies yeah. you could be watching. Makes instead. me want, wonder what that one Disney Channel Beach Party movie one and two were like. You mean Teen Beach movie? The whole yeah. two that they made. I feel because like I hear those. I heard those are more kind of like they were more like parody movies. Really interesting. Even made by the yeah, Disney Channel. I, heard, I haven't actually watched them. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I feel like there's just something kind of comforting about that. One of the biggest draws to the like the original Beach Party films from the 60s was the fact that like you kind of knew what you were getting and it was like a nice easy excuse to like listen to some music for guys to leer at girls in bikinis and like to have some like inoffensive comedy. So yeah, that's about it. Yeah, um, not a lot to say about this one. It existed and I consumed it with my eyeballs and now I probably won't think of it much ever again. Hmm. That was a big problem with the original Beach Party movies as well. Uh, not very memorable. But it does make me interested in knowing what the future Mycene movies are. Especially Mycene Goes Hollywood, the next Mycene movie, which includes, like, cameos from Lindsay Lohan. So... Uh, maybe we might have to check that out. I don't know. I don't know like, what we'll I kinda do next. I kind of want to do that one next, but also like maybe it'll, maybe we'll benefit from like seeing some of the newer stuff. So what is what is your ranking for my scene jamming in Jamaica? I'm gonna be generous, and I'm gonna say I'll give it like a uh, a Jamaican tie dye shirt out of ten. It's kind of cheap. It's kind of tacky. Like it's definitely something that like was done to make a quick buck. Uh, but, you know, you can have some nice memories attached to it, I guess. I give it, uh, one and three-fourths of a teenage boy's soul patch out of five. <laughs> you, you appreciate the effort, but you kind of wish he would just shave it off and admit that he can't grow that beard. <laughs> well, if River didn't have the soul patch, there would be, like, no way to distinguish him from... Uh, Ellis. Oh yeah, they do look very similar. <laughs> they really do. But They're yeah, like, oh, thank God. you for uh, listening to the Pink Owl, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed yourself, and if you've been enjoying like the direction that we've been going in, expanding from some of these other uh, Barbie things, yeah, just uh, consider giving us a follow on the old Twitters or uh rating us on the podcast platform of your choice we'd appreciate it uh but yeah that's gonna be about it emma you have a twitter yeah you can follow it if you want you should follow it emma cory at emma cory nine yeah follow appreciate her and you can follow this twitter uh for the pink owl at pink owl pod if we didn't already plug that but emma your stuff's good Appreciate you. Anyway, and then as for me, listener, uh, you can find my stuff following my Twitter at Kasman Henry, my portfolio Tumblr, henrykasman.tumblr.com, and youtube.com slash, uh, slash Henry Kasman, uh, where you can get the latest and greatest of all my hot takes. And then uh, if you enjoy all the stuff that we done do on the internet and you want to, you know, support us f- even further consider uh chucking a, a buck towards my patreon patreon.com slash henry kathman give any, him money oh give it yeah, thank you any help is appreciated but uh yeah that's i guess gonna do it for us honestly emma i kind of want to stay on this my scene beat for a bit how would you feel if we head down to hollywood next I feel like we almost have to watch that one just for the idea of a Lindsay Lohan cameo in a Barbie movie. <laughs> all right. Well, until we do that, then, listener, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Yay.
Spontaneous combustion, combustion, spontaneous. 